Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday! It's Friday! April 28th, and I'm Adam Wright. It's 7 a.m. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Who's ready for the weekend? I am. Are you? Let's keep getting ready today. We do have some work to do this morning here on Roadmap to Heaven, some spiritual work to do, but then later today, it'll be just a great time to celebrate the weekend, right? Let's pray this morning. And today we conclude our our week long of praying. Um, You know, this weekend there's that satanic convention in Boston. And so we've been praying the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel all week. Um, I think we might keep this going after this week because, I mean, why not pray to St. Michael the Archangel uh, through his intercession? And, uh, you know, don't forget also to pray to your guardian angel. So let's pray this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snare of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly hosts, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Angel of God, my guardian, dear, to whom God's love commits me here ever this day, be at my side to light, to guard, to rule, and guide. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions today to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Today on the show, we are going to wrap up our conversation with Father Jeffrey Kirby about the duty of parents to sanctify them in truth. Who? Their children. Sanctify the children, your children, in truth. And then we also have Father Craig Vasek with us today. He is a priest from the Diocese of Crookston assigned to work on the Eucharistic Revival right now, and uh, we're going to be happy to be speaking with him, we actually had him uh, join us uh, previously this week. He he was able to tape an interview with us uh, at seven a.m. DC. T- our time is a little. I don't. Even, I guess that'd be the eight o'clock hour DC time. I don't know. I need one of those walls of clocks that tells you the time all over the world. Not really. For our radio listeners today, we've got a homily about Saint Joseph. The Terror of Demons. Now, Monday is May 1st, the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. It will be the 26th anniversary of our first broadcast on Covenant Network. 26th anniversary of our first broadcast. It's it's quite a remarkable thing to be saying. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about St. Joseph the Worker next week. But everyone around here knows that my favorite title of St. Joseph is Terror of Demons. You know, I, I take that song. What is it? The, the the one song, he sees you when you're, no. They fear him when he's sleeping, right? That's, I love St. Joseph under that title. We also have another homily on St. Joseph from Father Heilman today as well. All of that and more, but before we can get to any of that, let's go to Mike Roberts for a look at today's weather and our saint of the day. Today is the feast day of St. Louis de Montfort. Born in France in the village of Montfort in 1673, Louis was the oldest surviving child of Jean and Jean Grignon, and his father was a notary who also owned a farm. 
As he grew up, John developed a great devotion to the Blessed Mother and a desire to become a priest. With the help of a benefactor, he went to Paris to study, but when he arrived, realized his benefactor had not provided quite enough money, so he found lodging in a number of different boarding houses among the very poor, while at the same time attending lectures at the Sorbonne. He finished his studies in 1700 and then was ordained. He always maintained a special connection to God's holy angels, and in particular, guardian angels. Often, while closing a letter, he would offer a salute to the guardian angel of the person he was writing to. A great preacher, Lewis traveled all across Western Europe, always paying special attention to the poor. Meanwhile, his devotion to the Blessed Mother continued to grow, and eventually he founded the missionaries of the Company of Mary and wrote his classic, the true devotion to the Blessed Virgin. He also founded Daughters of Wisdom dedicated to caring for the sick. He died on this day in 1716 at the age of just 43. St. Louis de Montfort, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Earlier this week, we started a conversation with Father Jeffrey Kirby about his book, Sanctify Them in Truth, talking about the them. Now, the them could be a lot of people, but in the context of our conversation this week, the them and sanctify them in truth has been the focus of children, that parents are called to sanctify their children with the truth. And today we are going to play the final part of that conversation and uh, we were talking yesterday a little bit about that we got to go to the sacraments. we got to go to the source of grace because this will be hard sometimes. One of the things I don't want to lose sight of is this idea that when it gets hard, it's not just, okay, before we go have the hard conversation, but when we're dealing with it. Because very rarely is it we have the conversation and that's it. You know, we're, we're through. We, we can move on to the next thing. Box is checked. Situation dealt with. Move on. When it's hard, when you're in the midst of that difficulty, keep going back to prayer. Keep going back to the sacraments. Keep going back to our Lord. Uh, you know, I, I think of that image of the woman at the well where he very clearly says, I'm the well that will not run dry. So, you know, let's not ration it and say, we better be careful. We might run out of our Lord's grace here. Let's keep going back to him and asking for that grace. But, you know, that's the other thing I kind of wonder about, because especially in the context of the Eucharistic revival right now, I I read a piece the other day um, talking about all these different ideas for what does Eucharistic revival look like. And some say it's greater reverence and piety for the Eucharist. And and some say it's uh, better understanding of the communal celebration that's involved. And some say this, and the person writing the op-ed said, well, actually, it's all of these things. It is the communal. It is the piety. It is the reverence. It, it's not either or. Um, having that community, and this this is where it becomes so important for us to have that faith community of, of like-minded believers, not only to say, yeah, you're right. I'm not just validating what you believe is true. It's, I'm here to say, yeah, it stinks right now what you're going through, but you're not alone. Yes, yes. You know, it's interesting. If you were to ask most Christians in the 14 apostolic letters of the New Testament associated with St. Paul, uh, what is the one theme that St. Paul most speaks about? Whenever I ask that question, the majority of the answers are sexual sins. They think that Saint, that's all St. Paul is talking about, is sexual sins, and so on and so on. And, and in some of his letters, he does address some of those. 
But the one thing he most emphasizes in his 14 apostolic letters is holy fellowship, the importance of Christians being together. And we certainly see it in the Acts of the Apostles. So, you know, the, in the Acts of the Apostles, we see how the church came together for worship, for prayer, uh, for holy fellowship, to study uh, the teachings of the apostles, to serve the poor, the suffering, the sick. And so we see this example of what it means to be in holy fellowship. And why is it so important that the Christians are together? Well, if we go to the book of Proverbs, we can draw the simple divine wisdom as iron sharpens iron, so man sharpens his fellow man. So as Christians, we come together yes, to commiserate, to be consoled, to be encouraged, but also to be admonished, to be called forward, uh, to be instructed. So the Christian way of life, we, we can't live as, as individuals. And Adam, I would say this, I think this is where the loss of parish life in many areas has been a tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, cause of suffering and, and, and um, disassociation or dislocation of, of Christians who are trying to lead the Christian way of life. Do you imagine the, the, you know, the young person or the Christian who suddenly has this deeper conversion and they say, I don't want to start living more faithfully and, and this and so on. They go to the parish and the parish, it seems dead. Uh, people aren't excited. It seems as if most of the people in the pews have given into ideology and so on. You know, uh, you know, this can be the case in some parishes. You know, we have other dynamic parishes I should mention to balance the scene. But, but the loss of so many parishes to that kind of holy fellowship, the fact that not all of our Catholic parishes are models of that apostolic way of life that we see in the Acts of the Apostles is a tremendous loss because. We can't walk this alone. I mean, the Lord sent out these disciples in twos. <laughs> he called and founded a church. Right? He did these things on purpose. He knows our fallen nature. He knows what the path of holiness looks like. The, one of the first things he did in his public ministry was call together a community to himself. Even he himself, in his human nature, knew, needed that community life. And so I think that you know, there's a challenge. I think that when someone has a deeper conversion, I encourage people to invest in their parish. If maybe their parish needs some growth, then, then be a part of that. You know, like uh, don't just, you know, dismiss and boohoo, but but roll up your sleeves, get involved and, and help to be one of the sources to, to make the parish where it should be and the parish is thriving, then jump in, ask the pastor, what can I do? How can I help? Where, where do you need, uh, you know, the most assistance? What, what's available? I just think there's so much more we can do in that area. You know, I think at some point in time, every parent has said, well, maybe if I just lock my kids in a closet until they're 18, you know, they'll be sheltered from the world. I don't have to deal with any of this. I won't have to worry. But, you know, obviously that that would be a faulty method of parenting. It's actually, you know, our job is to prepare them to be out in the world, not to be of the world, but to be in the world. And, you know, that fellowship of having families that we spend time with where their kids are on the same page as our kids. Because sometimes, you know, mom and dad's wisdom is only going to be heeded so much. But when they slip up and they curse or they take the Lord's name in vain, if their friends are the ones saying, whoa, hey, we don't do that here. You know, that's probably at some point going to carry a lot more weight than me as dad saying, hey, we don't do that here. And if you do that again, we're going to have trouble. Now let's go get in line for confession here. Um, and, and that's the importance of that holy fellowship. But that's kind of where I want to really, that idea that we can't shelter our children. So if we're going to embrace our responsibility as the first educators of our children, raising them in the faith, um, we have to use every tool that God has given us from the sacraments to fellowship to community 
to grace. And hopefully when they do encounter these things in the world, our children will be sanctified in truth already. And who knows, maybe they're going to sanctify someone around them. Amen. And let me just add, Adam, as you described the importance of having other families of like mind and so on. Uh, years ago, a gentleman in the parish, a father of, of several children, uh, he said to me, and at the time, I, I, it took me a while to process what he meant, because he said that he likes that he comes to the parish and other adults know his children by name. And I thought, okay, I'm not sure you know, what, what, what that means. And later, I was able to understand and talk with him. And he said that his children could come and they have peers friends that are also trying to live the Christian way of life, but also there are other adults who serve as Christian mentors, who know his children, who, you know, interact with the families and so on, so that the children see their peers, their friends, like living the Christian way, they also see other adults, and the other adults serve serve as models and so on, because, you know, he said that as much as he wants his children always to come to him, and, and he, similar to as you were describing your relationship, Adam, with your children, he's very open. His children have a great relationship with him. He realizes there are going to be times where they might want to turn to a different Christian mentor to ask questions or seek guidance. And he said to be in a parish where that's naturally there is a great blessing. So, so the Holy Fellowship, the, the call to be out there and to kind of fight the good fight, <laughs> I think that's where we're going. So yes, yes. Yeah. Well, Father, I, I want to thank you for being with us. Again, the uh, the starting point for our conversation today is Father's book, Sanctify Them in Truth. It deals with uh, some of the most hot-button issues of our time that we need to be prepared to answer. It's available through TAN Books, so be sure to check that out if you're looking for a resource to help you navigate these things. In the meantime, Father, we've talked so much about the importance of prayer. I think the best way to end our time together is to pray for all of the parents out there and everyone uh, who encounter the need to stand firm in the truths of our faith. And I'd love to ask you to close us out with prayer. My pleasure. Let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, we are told that you have given every family its name. We ask that you bless and guide all families. We ask that you particularly allow Christian families to know their vocation, to be salt, light, and leaven in the midst of our world. May you bless and inspire those that you have called to parenthood. May you bless the Christian family. May they always be beacons of hope, of, of faith, of mercy, of love. We seek, Father, always to do all that you ask of us. May you continue to move our hearts, guide us, teach us, grant us these and all good things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, Father Kirby, thank you so much for being with us. All the best from us here at Covenant Network to you and Team Grace down there at Our Lady of Grace in South Carolina. We look forward to the next time we get to have you with us on the show. Thank you, Adam. God bless you. Consecration to Mary. My queen and my mother, I give myself entirely to you. And to show my devotion to you, I consecrate to you this day my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my whole being without reserve. Wherefore, good mother, as I am your own, keep me, guard me, as your property and possession. Amen. 
We are happy to be joined today by Father Craig Vasek, a priest of the Diocese of Crookston, which is in northwest Minnesota. I'm getting my geography lessons as we do more of these interviews by Zoom for both our radio show and our YouTube channel, which, by the way, if you haven't checked us out on YouTube yet, be sure to look up Our Catholic Radio or Covenant Network Catholic Radio on YouTube, and you can find a lot of your favorite Roadmap to Heaven interviews there. But, Father, it is uh, good to have you with us, although today you're not in Minnesota. You're actually out in Washington. Washington, D.C., at the offices of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, because you are one of the preachers for this Eucharistic revival. So whether it's Minnesota or Washington, we're glad to be joined by you today. I'm very glad to be with you, Adam. Thanks for having me. Now, it's that preaching that brought you to our attention. Someone from the station here was recently at an event where you were speaking, and this is what you do right now. You're going all over the country preaching about the Eucharistic revival. And uh, when we were getting ready for the interview, you used one of those Catholic words that I'm— uh, Still not able to give a good definition of, but when I hear it, I know we got to stop. We got to talk about that, and that's charisma. So let's let's go in this direction first. What is this Eucharistic charisma that you're going around talking about? Yeah, so uh, the charisma is from a Greek word, and it simply means like the the center or the proclamation or the kernel or the nugget, however you want to put it. I don't know Greek very well, but it's that kind of idea. And uh, so the charisma with regard to Christianity, another way of saying it is the gospel message. But sometimes when you hear the gospel message, you think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's like the whole life and life of Jesus and everything that he's done. And it's like, well, it is that. But what's at the center of that? And it's what Paul says. St. Paul says it's that Christ has come, he's died, and he has been raised for our justification. And he's buried our sins in the grave, and he's raised us to new life. Christ came, he died, he rose, he ascended, he's given us new life. That's the central message. And um, and we want to proclaim it. That's, uh, that's what we are tasked to do as the Eucharistic preachers for the revival is to go around the country and to proclaim, even though we all know this message. I mean, Catholics, if they're going to Mass, they're like, yeah, duh, I know that. But it's not a yeah, duh sort of thing. It should be the kind of thing that that sets us on fire. Like, and because I've personally appropriated that, like, no, I was lost in sin. And because Christ died and rose, I have been raised to new life. And it's only because of the work that he has done that I have that. And so I want to love him and praise him. So it's it's the invitation to like personalize that message and to make a response of, of fidelity and of joy and of excitement and of wanting to tell others like, hey, you need to be in a relationship with the Lord Jesus um, because he saves us from hell and he saves us for heaven, you know? So it's that kind of thing that we're supposed to be going around. And so that's the charisma, but we're supposed to be giving that proclamation with regard to the Eucharist. And so what we're supposed to do is locate, okay, so Jesus has come, he has died, he has risen. And so how does he communicate that to us? Well, he communicates it to us through the sacraments, a baptism first and foremost, and then he feeds us with, with his body and blood to strengthen us in Holy Communion. And that is all contained in Holy Mass. And so to kind of renew people's understanding that the entirety of the saving message of Jesus is not just a sermon, even though it includes sermons, it is a it lived experience in Holy Mass. And to catch that again for the faithful, that they might be, get excited for it. Yeah, you know, sometimes I have to I have to be honest here and say, oh, I, you know, I the Eucharistic revival is not for me. I believe in the Eucharist, and and yet there are times that even to this day, sadly, I catch myself at the memorial acclamation when we proclaim His death and His resurrection until He comes again. That my response is not, oh my goodness, can you believe what our God has done for us? It's like. 
All right. We're about, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes away, not even from the end of Mass here. Things are moving. Father's at a good pace, and it's like, Adam, stop. You've missed the whole point of what we're talking about right now. So it turns out Eucharistic revival is for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we're at Holy Mass, because it's a routine, because it's a habit, because of all these different things, there's all the human contingencies and things that can get in the way that come into play, right? But um, if I can refresh myself and try to be cognizant, no, actually, when I'm at Holy Mass, I'm at the foot of Calvary. I'm really standing where he is being pierced for me, where he's being lifted up on a cross, and, and all of his blood, the blood is coming out from every pore on him. If, if I recognize that when I'm at Holy Mass and I could just remember, oh, yeah, that thing which happened historically is happening mystically, truly right now, that he is being crucified, that he's going down into the grave, that he is coming up in his resurrected life and he's giving me the fruits of the redemption and the Holy Eucharist. If we could, if we could make that connection, it'd be like, yeah, I don't, I'm not in a hurry to rush away from here because this is, this is my entire salvation. This is heaven opening up for me. This is my savior and I want to be with him. Yeah. So lest I get too fixated on the splinter in my neighbor's eye uh, at the peril of ignoring the plank in my own, what would you say to me and to our listeners this morning that, you know, we have that starting point. We have that Eucharistic faith. We believe the church teaching. We go to adoration. We frequent the sacrament. We love our frequent reception of Holy Communion. But yet deep down inside of us, we need that revival too. Where do we start? Yeah, so um, some people mistakenly think that the Eucharistic revival is like, hey, let's just like study and have a better catechesis. And then that's like what the revival is. And that might be a little bit of a, a reform or a, or a renewal, but that's not a revival. A revival is when you bring something that is either sick, dying or dead and you resuscitate it to life. That's revival. So the Eucharistic revival is not like, hey, let's read a book on the Eucharist. It might include that, but it's not contained to that. It is a imploring of heaven for all of us individually and corporately to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, our land, our church, our lives are in dramatic need of your Holy Spirit, of your heavenly power, and we beg you to send the Spirit of God to us, that we might repent of our sins, that we might repent of our complacency, that we might repent of whatever we need to repent of and encourage others to repent so that we might be renewed and revived, filled with your Spirit, so that we might truly go out like those apostles did, filled with the Spirit of God and proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins for the empowering of the Holy Spirit for the life of the world. Give us that, Lord. And until we're doing it, until I find myself out there in uncomfortable situations, going out of my comfort zone, thinking I have a burden for that person's soul, so I'm going to go and tell them about Jesus or about baptism or about confession or about mass, until we see ourselves doing that, we are not revived yet. We need to pray for revival. You know, as you say that, I, I'm thinking of this analogy. Um, it, it's terrible allergy season right now here in St. Louis. I mean, the tree pollen is is crazy. My kids are miserable. Everybody I know is miserable. Now, 
would we rather have the medicine that helps the allergy or the book about the medicine? Like, I could read a whole book on antihistamines and how allergens work and this and that. Or I could take the medicine that makes me better. And and I love the way you put that. It's not about just studying what does our faith teach about our Lord's presence in the Eucharist. It's not about an academic exercise. It's about reviving and resuscitating our hearts. You know, if, if you're having a heart attack, do you want someone to have a book about CPR or do you want them to know? CPR. So, Father, this is absolutely great. Now, before we let you go, there's a couple things we want to put on our listeners' radar screens. Um, one is going to be announced next month with the, the details, and that's a pilgrimage that's going to happen in the lead-up to the Eucharist to Congress next year in 2024. Can you tell us just a little sneak preview about that? Yeah, we're going to have a national launch of the idea in May just to have a good campaign with regard to it. But next year, the Congress is in July of 2024, two months prior to that Congress, we're going to have four different routes where the Blessed Sacrament is going to be pilgrimaged, processed from uh, Lake Itasca in Minnesota down to Indianapolis, from San Francisco, and that's for your listeners, from San Francisco, and it's going to go through St. Louis on the way to Indianapolis, from Corpus Christi, Brownsville, really, uh, Texas, up to Indianapolis, and from New Haven, Connecticut to Indianapolis. Four routes, four pilgrimages of the Blessed Sacrament being carried in procession with events every evening at parishes and every weekend in dioceses with processions with the bishop on the way, kind of like this movement, this national pilgriming towards the Congress in July. So that's going to be, when I talk about it, people get fired up and they're looking forward to, to walking or to partnering with that or to see it come through their town or whatever. A lot of people are really excited about that. So we're excited about it too. Yeah, forget Route 66. This is the root of the Eucharist and it's it's even uh, better. We might have to write a song about that. I don't know. Uh, and then the other thing coming up is there is there are going to be opportunities for parishes to take part in the Eucharistic revival. And can you tell us a little bit about what will be happening with that? Yeah, so right now we're in a diocesan year, 2022 into 2023, and so we're working with bishops and their diocesan staffs. This June, though, the National Eucharistic Revival, which was launched last year, will hit the parish. It's intended to hit the parish this June, starting with Corpus Christi. Hopefully every parish in the country will do a Corpus Christi procession as a launch to the parish year. But then there's going to be programming that we're announcing and we're working with parishes already that they can promote in their parishes on the topic of worship, on the topic of encounter with God, on the topics of formation. We were talking about that earlier. It's part of it. It's not the only thing. Formation. And then the sending of missionaries to proclaim the love of Jesus or the the service of Jesus in the poor, right? And so there's going to be all sorts of things. We have a parish playbook that's coming out. Um, But one of our feature pieces this fall is a small group study that we're putting together that a parish can do at at the parish level. They can have a thousand people there. We're calling it a small group study because everybody that comes will then sit at a table and, and kind of form a small group for seven weeks. And we've been working with the best of production agencies in the United States Catholic Church and speakers and bishops and all these different people to form a a plug and play, we're calling it, where you go to the parish, press play, and for two hours have a dynamic experience filled with table discussion locally live uh, for seven weeks on the kerygma, the central message of the teaching of the Catholic Church, uh, the message of Jesus, and then how that's situated in the sacraments. So that's going to be a great formation piece that hopefully then sends people out in excitement to to share with their neighbors. So that's this fall. It's coming out this summer, but it's going to be launched in September. I love it, Father. Well, this has been great to have this time to sit down and speak with you today. Could I ask you to close us out with a prayer or a blessing for our listeners? 
Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we ask that the Eucharistic presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in Holy Mass and in the Blessed Sacrament be extended as King and Lord over the entire United States. We ask for a conversion of life and for all to come under your banner of love. Pour out your blessing upon us all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Craig Vasek from the National Eucharistic Revival, thank you so much for being with us today. For more information on the Eucharistic Revival, friends, you can just go to eucharisticrevival.org. It's as easy as that. Eucharistic Revival, all one word, eucharisticrevival.org. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't you go anywhere. A prayer for priests. Oh, my God, help those priests who are faithful to remain faithful. To those who are falling, Stretch forth your divine hand, that they may grasp it as their support. In the great ocean of your mercy, lift those poor unfortunate ones who have fallen, that being engulfed therein, they may receive the grace to return to your great loving heart. Amen. Precious blood of Jesus, protect them. We are wrapping up our week talking about Blessed Solanus Casey here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. And Patty, before we get to Friday's dose, I just have to say, I think it is just one of those wonderful things to think about how recent this is, that instead of being beatified in the Colosseum, we have a blessed who is beatified in Ford Stadium, a football stadium, in front of 66,000 people. And... Uh, you know, just a good reminder for us that we are called to be saints, and it is possible for you and I in this day and age because we have the example of Blessed Solanus Casey and others. Exactly. And and the thing is, is, you know, in Detroit, everybody knows about Solanus Casey. But here in St. Louis, we don't know that much about him or beyond, you know. And so I wanted to bring this man to our attention, having just recently had the privilege of praying at his tomb and visiting this museum, which I highly recommend if you're in Detroit. Again, go to these holy shrines and places where people, we can learn so much about our Catholic faith and grow in our desire for holiness. So today I want to just wrap up by something I thought was so beautiful about Solanus Casey. When he was 26 years old, he wrote a simple plan for holiness, and he called it his plan for holiness. And here it is. Number one, detachment from earthly affections, singleness of purpose. Number two, meditation on the passion of Jesus Christ. Number three, uniformity of will within the divine will. Number four, mental prayer, meditation, and contemplation. And number five, prayer, ask, and it shall be given to you. That was it. He had a five-step plan for holiness. He lived this plan for 60 years. He wrote it when he was 26, and he lived it for the next 60. So what is your plan for holiness? Have you ever thought what yours would look like? Have you ever written it down? Are you living it? Blessed Solanus Casey, help us to live more like you. Pray for us and give us a plan for holiness. It reminds me of something my high school teachers used to say to us over and over and over again. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate it. And Blessed Salamis Casey has been a great example of that for us today. Patty, thank you for this week here on the Daily Dose of Encouragement. A prayer for the dead. God, our Father. 
Your power brings us to birth. Your providence guides our lives, and by your command we return to dust. Lord, those who die still live in your presence. Their lives change, but do not end. I pray and hope for my family, relatives, and friends, and for all the dead known to you alone. In company with Christ, who died and now lives, may they rejoice in your kingdom, where all our tears are wiped away. Unite us together again in one family to sing your praise forever and ever. Amen. Catechist today. Earlier on the show, we were talking about the fact that the Feast of St. Joseph, the worker, is coming up on Monday. And I'd like to know a couple of things here. Uh, The title, St. Joseph the Worker, is that in the Litany of St. Joseph? Do you know the answer to that one? Well, let's let's find out if you know the answer to that one. But more important, here's our actual catequiz question today. How many titles of St. Joseph are in the litany of St. Joseph? Uh, now, I'm not including the first one where we say, St. Joseph, pray for us, because that's his proper name. I'm including all of the titles that come after that. And so the first answer to the question, St. Joseph the Worker, is not one of the titles in the litany. In model of workers is, but uh, the worker is not. And then um, there are 31 titles of St. Joseph in the litany of St. Joseph. So you have that going for you today. It's a great litany to pray. I love some of these in here. I, I mean, I love them all. Renowned Offspring of David, that's a good one. It's not my favorite one, but it's, a, it's an important one. It shows the lineage between uh, the king of Israel and Christ, our king. Light of Patriarchs, those are good. But when you get a little deeper into the litany, you get some of these. Head of the Holy Family, Joseph Most Just, Joseph Most Chaste, Joseph Most Prudent, Joseph Most Strong, Joseph Most Obedient, Most Faithful, Mirror of Patience, Lover of Poverty, Model of Workers, Glory of Family Life. Husbands and fathers, especially in light of what we were talking about today with Father Kirby and what we've been talking about all week about our duty to sanctify our children in the truth. If we are not going through the intercession of St. Joseph, what are we doing? You know, we we miss the boat if we're not going through his intercession. We need St. Joseph as a model for us. He is the guardian of the church, the terror of demons, protector of holy church. He's there with us as we're trying to raise our kids to grow close to his adopted son, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're close to the Blessed Mother, you're close to St. Joseph. If you're close to St. Joseph, you're close to the Blessed Mother. And we all know that if you're close to the Blessed Mother, you're close to our Lord because they are not far apart from one another ever. They're so closely united with one another in their love for one another. So you want to become a saint? I'm not saying this is a a guaranteed mathematical formula because there's a lot you have to do with your free will that God gave you to be open to the grace you need, to be repentant when you mess up and when you sin. But if you want to become a saint, I'm just going to tell you, it's probably going to be in your favor to have St. Joseph on the coaching staff. You know, if you're on the team, we often joke around, I want to be on the team. I want to be on Mary's team. Well, guess who one of the head coaches is on Mary's team? St. Joseph is one of the head coaches on the Blessed Mother's team. So men... Let's listen to the coach. What's that great song we play in the summertime? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play, right? You know, we're on the team. He's the coach. Watch for the signals. And as the Blessed Mother says, do what he tells you to do. Now, she's referring to her son. But St. Joseph's going to say the same thing. Do what he tells you to do. All right? 
And now I'll quote everything we've read from St. Joseph and Holy Scripture. I want to thank you for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That concludes our week here on Roadmap to Heaven. Over at the podcast, we're going to put together the full Father Kirby conversation for you start to finish in one episode. On our YouTube channel, at Our Catholic Radio, we've got the interview from Father Calloway up from yesterday. Soon we'll have Father Craig Vasek and Father Kirby up. That's probably going to be next week, but check us out. In the meantime, thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today. <laughs>